Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Um, sorry to make a habit of this. I'm doing this two episodes in a row now. But if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, I highly recommend you do it before we get into today's content. Um, today, it's not just because you know yesterday's episode was really great and, and you should listen to it. It's actually because what we're talking about in the episode today is building off uh, yesterday's content. So if you haven't listened to it, you can go back. It's episode 64. It's called Picking the Right Spouse, part one. And just to give a little bit of a summary uh, which is going to set course, uh, which is wow, that was a hard word, uh, which is going to kind of frame what we talk about today. Uh, let me just quickly summarize. Um, we talked a little bit about the philosophy around picking a spouse, sort of the differences between the one versus a uh, choice or taking some ownership in it. And I explained sort of my, my reasoning behind my stance and what I believe is, is really healthy for uh, a long term marriage. Then we talked about the criteria that you look for in a spri- uh, in a spouse. <laughs> Words are tough today. Um, we talked about character, we talked about calling, and we talked about compatibility and how when you have alignment on those three fronts, you are positioned for a, a healthy long-term marriage. Not guaranteed. Uh, there's still lots of work to be done and there's other elements that you have to take into consideration. But it certainly uh, certainly helps and these are these are criteria that we have found to be quite useful over the years. Now, um, today is called Picking the Right Spouse Part 2, Story Time, and that is because I'm going to share with you two stories in my family of uh, about marriage and how marriages came about, uh, two stories that are vastly different, uh, yet they each have much to learn from. So the first story is going to be my parents, and the second story is going to be me and my wife, Shaloma. So I'm going to start with my parents. Now, for those of you who don't know, I am Indian. So I'm, well, I'm Canadian, but, you know, saying that you're Canadian means nothing because we, uh, all of us Canadians come from somewhere else. And uh, in my case, my parents and all of my ancestors prior to them are from India. So my dad was born and raised in India. My mom was born in India, raised in Malaysia, um, but, but I would say she's, you know, through and through Indian with uh, just a little bit of a Malaysian flavor, if I could put it that way. So... My dad and his family immigrated to Canada in the 70s. And at the time, my dad was seven, uh, my dad was 18 years old. So he had finished all of his, um, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, I guess, primary and secondary education. He had done up until high school in India, and he was ready to do university. So he came over, a really cool God story, actually, how he, he was able to uh, bypass some standardized tests and stuff that would have set him back a year and uh, he went straight into university. And my dad, from a very young age, only had one goal in life, and that was to become a pastor. And he ranked very high in his province's uh, standardized test. He was usually top three, top four every single time, and really could have had his pick of careers. He could have been a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, but he knew from a very young age he wanted to be a pastor. In fact, he would preach to the rocks in his backyard. He would organize them and uh, and he would have my aunt, his younger sister, sit down and he would preach. 
And uh, that's what he did for fun back in the day. So that should give you an idea of how through and through my dad wanted to be a pastor and a preacher from a very young age. So he came to Canada, he worked hard, and he became a pastor. He got ordained in the United Church of Canada. Uh, United Church of Canada would be you know, similar to uh, Lutheran, Anglican, uh, some Methodist roots in there. And that's actually why I was called United. It was an amalgamation of those three different branches. So he gets ordained, and in those days when you were ordained, you got to select your top five or top six uh, areas that you would like to work, but it was never a guarantee. And they would basically assign your first call and you basically had to accept it if you wanted to work within the denomination. So my dad got sent to Central Canada. Uh, those of you who don't know, Central Canada is sparsely populated. Uh, people think of Toronto when they think of Canada. Toronto is uh, an anomaly compared to the rest of Canadian culture and, and Canadian geography. Uh, most of them are small cities and a majority of Canadians live in villages and towns that nobody's ever heard of. And my dad got sent to a village called Kincaid. And Kincaid was a town of 300 people, count them, 300 people. And in central Canada, if you live in the States, it would be equivalent to the Midwest. So in these tiny villages, these guys, they, they haven't seen an Indian. They haven't seen a brown person. They don't know what curry is. And, and this was the culture that my dad got sent in for his first call. Now, to give you an idea, and, and this is where it, it's going to start to tie into our subject matter for today, but um, when you are a single, young Indian man living in Kincaid, Saskatchewan, you are not meeting ladies. And if you are, they're not Indian ladies. They're, they're not people who get you. They're, they're people where there's a built-in cultural barrier from the get-go. So this was the environment my dad grew up in. Now, he actually said that he put ads in the classifieds of the newspaper to try to find somebody and, of course, to no avail. So in Indian culture, my dad um, or my dad did uh, what is customary in Indian culture, which is he decided to have an arranged marriage. So he rang out my grandparents. He said, mom and dad, not finding anybody here. Slim Pickens in Kincaid, Saskatchewan. So uh, let's go back. I got six weeks off this summer. Let's go back to India and find me a wife. So my grandparents then get in touch with their marriage broker. You heard that correctly, marriage broker. So um, you know when you need to get insurance for your car and you want to shop around, you talk to your broker and then they go and they shop the best deal for you. Marriage brokers work the exact same way. So the marriage broker goes, uh, he has a, a collection of profiles of other families that are also shopping for a spouse, quote unquote, and he starts doing some, some matchmaking. So he's kind of like, you know, eHarmony before that was a thing. He, he's matching profiles and these profiles are detailed. Like I, I've seen them before and they have, you know, the educational background of the parents, their cast. Um, for the actual person that's looking for a spouse, it has their education, their height, their weight, their eye color, um, and obviously like the region they come from, religion is a huge part of this. I mean, the, the whole gamut, they cover all of their bases in vetting a spouse. And then basically, when the marriage broker finds a good match, he has the families come together and they meet and obviously, you know, the, the son and the daughter have a little discussion and if they feel some potential here, they will continue to meet up and, you know, you could call them dates, I suppose. Uh, and if there's no match or there's no, there's nothing that's going to work out there, then it's kind of done right, right there after that first meeting. So my dad goes back, 
And the first person he gets matched up with is uh, somebody who I believe studied in, in Europe. And, and that ranked this person very high in her application because it meant that she'd be more willing to move to Canada because my dad only had one uh, non-negotiable. We talked about this um, in the previous episode, but well, I guess really my dad had two non-negotiables. One, uh, the person had to be of the same faith. They had to be a Christian. And number two, they had to be willing to move to Canada. And in India, it's a little bit of a a closed country. Uh, You know, culturally speaking, you don't leave the country because if you do that, you're abandoning the family and you're abandoning your roots and your culture. So it's, it's tough to get out. Um, so this first person, uh, they meet up, they talk, and I don't remember exactly why, but there was some sort of um, issue, and it, it clearly was not going to work out. So uh, they go to the next person, um, and the next person, again, had some experience in a more developed country. It wasn't you know, a Western country, but it was a more developed country. And they speak for about 10 minutes. My dad kind of explains, you know, I'm a pastor. Uh, I mean, I'm looking for somebody who's strong in their faith. Um, and I live in Canada. I have a good life in Canada. I think it's where I want to start my family. So are you willing to move to Canada? They have this conversation. And the woman says yes to, to everything. I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to make it work. And boom, my dad and my mom get engaged and married in a span of a couple of weeks. So that is how they got married. That's how they picked their spouse, quote unquote. And um, when I was talking about, uh, last episode I mentioned the, the three C's and I, I had actually run this by a friend of mine before I even recorded the episode and he challenged me a little bit on my emphasis on character because I my main point you know, is that you marry somebody's character. You don't marry their possessions or their vocation or anything else. And his pushback was, yes, but in cultures where there's an arranged marriage, can you really say that's, that's the case? And I, I had to really think about it. I, I thought it was a good point. And I, I would say it's actually not fully true. Um, you, don't, you don't know somebody's character quite as well. But the criteria that match you to a person are character determinants. Religion, uh, family background, educational background, all these things factor in. Uh, so, so, you know, I think he had a good point there uh, that in an arranged marriage, character maybe cannot be thoroughly explored the same way that it can in a, a culture that, you know, endorses dating. But I think it still holds true. Now, it's interesting because uh, my parents having an arranged marriage is obviously vastly experience, uh, vastly different than the experiences in North America. And I would say that um, they've had an, am- an amazing marriage. Their shares of ups and downs for sure. But on the whole, they've, they've done really, really well. And, and they honestly, they have a marriage that I would long to have when I reach their age and their stage of life. Now, what I'll just leave you with is a, a quote of my dad's, and it's um, it's actually a paraphrase. He didn't say this word for word, but um, he has said something about arranged marriage that has always really stuck with me and something that I've really tried to apply in my own marriage, and you're going to hear about that in just a moment. But the, the quote is this. He said, you know, in North American culture, you meet somebody, you evaluate, and Am I going to work? Can I see myself living with this person? Are we going to work? That kind of thing. And then you you fall in love with them and you get to know each other and you fall in love. And after you fall in love, you decide, okay, I'm going to get married. I'm ready to spend the rest of my life with them. In Indian culture, it happens in reverse order. You, you make a decision based on, on sort of the facts that are presented and the, the little conversations that you've had. You, you make a decision and then you fall in love. And he said there, there's something to be said in a North American culture where the divorce rate is reported to be as high as 50% in some places. 
there is something to be said about choosing before falling. And what, what he meant was that you choose the person, you choose to be with them, and then you fall in love. And I don't think that necessarily has to be the model for a North American dating or anything like that. I'm, I'm not against falling in love first, as you're going to find out. But it, it does tell you that actually the emphasis, um, the emphasis that we make on falling in love might be overrated. Because you have a whole culture, and, and not, just a, not just some culture you know, elsewhere in the world. We're talking about a culture of billions of people. Okay, that's a lie. It's, but over a billion people who are you know, getting married under these kinds of conditions. They're, they're choosing first and then falling in love. And um, I've seen my, my dad just stick it out through thick and thin with my mom. And I've seen my mom do likewise. And I believe a huge part is because they made the choice first. And then they fell in love. Their, their choice was not based on, on feelings of love or anything else. It was um, a lot more practical. And really, it was an assessment of, can, can we make this work? And, um, and I think that's really beautiful. Now, just to tie in the three criteria that we talked about last episode. Um, compatibility. It, it is written all over the marriage broker process. As weird as that probably sounds to you. Um, that, that's really what they're testing. They're, they're saying, are these people compatible? Do they have enough alignment here that they're going to get along? Um, calling. Calling is the second thing. And it's, that's also very similar um, as in it, it kind of factors into the, the marriage broker process. But I would say additionally, the, the conversations that are had very much revolve around calling. That 10-minute conversation my dad had with my mom was, uh, you know, are you willing to move to Canada? Can you handle being a pastor's wife? Um, very much calling related sort of conversations. So I think it definitely factors in. And then, like I said, character as well. And that is something that is um, a little bit harder to vet, I would say, in an arranged marriage. It's a little bit presumed. Um, And my parents' situation was a little bit extreme. Most people don't get married that quickly. So you do get a little bit of time to get to know the person and to really make sure that they are a person of integrity and whatever else. Um, but again, the other determinants in the brokering experience, they, they will sift out the people of, of bad character, generally speaking. Again, it's not a perfect model by any means, but it does really hit on those three elements, those three avenues. Um, and I, I wanted to just mention that before I transition into my story. Now, I'm not going to spend nearly as much time on my story, um, but for those of you who don't know, I, um, I dated a couple of people before I met my wife. But I really only had one serious relationship, and that was when I was in university. And uh, we dated for about a year and a half. And after being together for a year and a half, I found out that she had cheated on me. Uh, it was it was just a one time thing, as far as I know. Uh, but it was obviously enough to to really call into question our future together. I was willing to make things work, and she did not. She she was done, and and. Uh, after healing from it many years later, I look back and realize that I think, I personally think that she cheated because she wanted a way out of the relationship and didn't know how else to do it. And I'm not saying that's appropriate, um, but it's to say that I think eventually we had reached enough friction in the relationship that it probably should have ended earlier and I didn't have the, the maturity or the foresight to make that decision myself. Um, it was painful. It was really painful to go through that, to be betrayed. Um, that was my first, like I said, my first serious relationship. So it, it hurt a lot and it took me a long time to, to just process and to get over it. Um, eventually, I did. I got there. And I, I had decided to really learn from my previous experience. Um, 
We were not uh, completely wholesome in our the way we handled ourselves uh, physically. Uh, we definitely crossed a lot of lines. We didn't cross the line, quote unquote, but we crossed lines, if you know what I mean. And um, I realized that I, I jumped in. I, I, I had found someone that I had a good compatibility with and that was pretty much it. And, and you know, I thought she was good looking and that was kind of the end of it. And I didn't really vet anything beyond that. And it, it hurt me as a result. And I, I don't think that, that my ex was actually a particular bad, particularly bad character, um, but certainly a lack of maturity that I was kind of blinded by. And, you know, granted, I was 19 years old, plenty to learn. But nonetheless, I, I just made up my mind after that relationship and um, after kind of healing up from it that I, I was not going to jump into anything else. I was done dating for fun or, or playing games that way. And I really wanted to date for chemistry, pardon me, for compatibility, calling, and character. Those are my three C's that I was really interested in. Um, over, over that period of time, I, I wound up being single for about seven years. And over those seven years is where I got free of pornography. It's where I really found my relationship with God. And I did go on dates with different girls uh, every now and then. And I was much quicker to end something if I didn't see any potential or any future. And, um, and for the most part, I, I did a pretty good job with that. And it really helped me because when I met Shaloma, I felt something different about her. Um, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't the, the, the compatibility, although I could tell that was there. Um, it wasn't the, the calling, although I could see there was some alignment. It was her character. There was something about her heart that was different. And in many ways, the previous uh, opportunities that came up, they were, they were um, I guess it was, it was training grounds for me to really hone my sense of somebody's character so that when I saw, when I met Shaloma and I saw the character I wanted, I was able to make that decision quickly. This is somebody that I'm interested in and I want to pursue something more with her. Now, the way we met, we actually met very unassumingly. Uh, we were on a set together at a conference. She was singing. I was playing piano. And um, I had not met most of the band before, so I just introduced myself to everybody, her included. And it was completely ordinary, nothing special about it at all. And, you know, the set went really well, and we carried off our separate ways. And that was the end of that. And two or three years later, I was pastoring uh, in a small local community, uh, very similar to what my dad started out in, as a matter of fact. And, um, and I wasn't meeting anybody. And, um, and then Shaloma was leading a team of people who, who ran a little conference at our church. And I had seen her lead worship quite a bit and, and had a bit of an interest from that, but didn't really know her. And again, I had learned my lesson. Um, that initial kind of attraction was not enough for me to do anything. I wanted to get to know the person. And uh, we wound up having a conversation for about half hour that weekend. And I really felt uh, a sense of compatibility there. I got a sense of her calling and felt like, okay, there's something here. And as I mentioned, I could tell that in her heart, she was a really sweet soul and somebody that I would love to get to know more. So I asked her out, uh, which my dad never had to do, the lucky dog. Um, he just had the broker set everything up for him. But I mustered up the courage to ask Shaloma out. And she reluctantly said yes. And uh, I'm not just saying that for the story. She was very hesitant and told me about how she wasn't ready for a relationship. And 
she maybe would be willing to, you know, at least get to know me a little bit, but she she had to be able to kind of pull out if if it went too quickly because she wasn't ready for anything serious. And, you know, she kind of had all of her conditions and caveats and whatever. Um, but we went out for coffee a couple of days later and we, we chatted for four hours. It would have been longer, but I had to go back and my, my drive was about an hour and a half. Um, and, and the rest was history. You know, we hit it off and, and I think we both knew pretty early on that it had potential. I... I personally had set up uh, a year. I wanted to uh, to be with her for a year um, because a year is, is long enough for you to have conflict with each other and see if you can work through that. It's enough for you to go through the different seasons of life or some different stages of life. And it's just enough for you to really see that person with their walls down um, because that is, that's where you see somebody's character anyway. Um, you're not going to see it when you're out on dates. You're going to see it a lot more behind closed doors, just doing everyday stuff together. And so once we had a year mark uh, is when I decided, okay, I'm ready to spend my life with her, got permission from her dad, proposed. And uh, another time I'll share more about our engagement. Um, I think I've already talked about it a little bit on the podcast. It's, it's in my book uh, when that comes out later on this year. Um, or possibly beginning of next, but um, but engagement was a whole nother thing. We'll we'll talk more about how to do engagement really well because um, we went through every challenge you can imagine during engagement, and uh, we've we've identified some things that we really encourage couples to work on now in that stage to just ensure that marriage goes smoothly and uh, that they can avoid some of the kind of classic rookie mistakes. So um, that is uh, th- those are the two stories, and I, I mentioned those two stories. Uh, because I wanted you to see that there's a contrast in how people can meet. And one of the biggest mistakes is that we we assume that you have to meet somebody a certain way. It has to happen X, Y, Z. Or we make too many assumptions about who our spouse will be before we meet them. And and sometimes you are missing the best people simply because you are putting blinders on and looking at, at certain criteria that don't matter that much. So... That's why, you know, two people can have an arranged marriage like my parents and they can still be together 38 years later, uh, happy, healthy, in love. Pardon me, 37 years later, happy, healthy, in love. And my parents are actually marriage mentors now. So they mentor other people uh, in marriages and they focus specifically on couples that are on the brink of divorce. So these these guys have learned a thing or two along the way. They're not just coasting. They're not just honoring uh, marriage because that's what you're supposed to do. But secretly, they're miserable. It, it's not like that at all. They love each other. They have a great marriage. And the results speak for themselves and the work that they're doing. Um, and I, I, wanted, I wanted to mention that. And we'll probably get them on, on the podcast here eventually for them to share some of their secrets about, um, you know, a healthy and successful marriage. But um, that is such a... a, a extreme story by North American or Western standards and yet there's a very healthy marriage that's come out and there's healthy marriages coming out of those places all the time and I would say Shaloma and I have had a very um, opposite experience uh, other than my uncle my dad's youngest brother we are we are really the first of our generation in, in my family to have a more uh, I guess traditional or whatever you want to say North American approach to getting married. All of the marriages prior to that were arranged. So that's just, that's crazy when you really think about it. And yet Shaloma and I have had, um, like I said, a really good dating experience, a very eventful and rocky engagement, and an absolutely thriving marriage. And and it just, it just goes to show you that you can meet different ways, but it will always boil down to those three C's. Are you compatible? Do your callings align? And 
what is their character like? Do they have good character? And if you can really knock off those three criteria, you're going to position your marriage for incredible success. So, hey, I hope this helps you. Um, I, I don't always share my own stories. It kind of just depends on when it helps. But I hope you gain a little bit of an insight into sort of just the contrast of marriages and the similar results. Hopefully, it tells you that really there's only a couple things here that matter when it comes to picking a spouse. And I believe they are best summarized in the three C's. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I wish you an incredible day. And I hope that this has helped you lead your life with integrity and confidence. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.